Hey everyone, my guest today is Badia Rhodes, who is a native of Oakland, California. Uh, she's a singer, songwriter, and a celebrity makeup artist. She sings jazz, show tunes, R&B, and pop music. Uh, her song "No Graves" has inspired a growing movement. I got the chance; I was lucky enough to to uh, see Badia perform at a concert in San Francisco. Badia, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Welcome. I'm excited to be here. I'm so very excited to be here. Um, well, for, for, for a section of this podcast, I'd love to get into some of your songs and, and go into the themes and maybe even have you sing. But before we go into that, we'd love to uh, learn a little bit about how you got into music and how you started that journey. So um, I would have to start with my mother saying I started singing when I was two. I don't remember back that far. But um she was like, no, you just grabbed the mic one time. We were at church. It was in between services. And you grabbed the mic and you were singing one of the songs. But it was, you know, they didn't really, they knew it was a melody, but they didn't know which song it was. But they were like, you sounded good. And my dad, he was like, oh, she's a singer. She's a singer. She's a singer. And my mom was like, okay, you know. <laughs> like, sure, whatever. We'll see what comes of it. And then, um, uh, I want to say about a year or two later, they gave me my first solo. And it was, I have decided to follow Jesus. <laughs> and it was like a really, really, really big deal. And especially for my dad, he was so proud. He was so proud. So you were and, five um, at this point where, where you got your own solo. You were five years old when you got your own. Okay. Yeah, yeah. About four or five. Yeah, something like that, you know. Um uh, and I imagine that it was probably just my parents' love, and I couldn't imagine it sounding any good. <laughs> but for them, it was like, oh my gosh, she's she's got it, she's got it. So um, they made sure I home that. I haven't taken any like um, classes for it, but um, but yeah, they made sure that I stayed in theater. My mom is a playwright, and my dad's a preacher, so we were always in church. We were always in the choirs. We always doing like workshops and visiting with other churches and and um and my brothers and sisters they sing also my eldest brother he plays the piano and then the brother right above me he plays the drums and he sings and then my other two siblings my two sisters that are right under me they sing too so we had like this little um little family little group for a little bit and uh, we would go around to different churches and then make my dad real proud. And, you know, so he could be all, yeah, those are my kids. And <laughs> so that's where it started in church, pretty much church and theater. That was my life for the early part of my life up to, I want to say about 17, 18. So, yeah. And, oh, and what happened at 17, 18? Like something shift? So... I, so about 17, 18, I started delving more into jazz. And then um, after I graduated high school um, and went to college, I started going to a jazz improv class. So the jazz improv class, it opened up a lot of new ideas for me. Like, um, and not that I never listened to it before, not that I ever, it was like my first time getting into it, but um, just being able to understand vocal ability from a musician standpoint, which is what jazz kind of brings to it. Um, and we get a lot of that in gospel music. Like most 
jazz musicians or a lot of them, they started in church. So you find some of the greatest musicians who started church. And then, um, but yeah, after that, I started getting into life. Um, I would say that I was very sheltered in the way I grew up. And I was able to shelter, very sheltered, very sheltered. <laughs> like I didn't get to do anything. <laughs> say, say more about that. I, the, the only thing that I got to do in high school was go to my senior ball. That was it. And there was no other dances. There was no other extracurricular anything. It's school and home. And that's it. And then church. That was that was our outing. So our friends were at church. So yeah. Um, but yeah, after that, it just started opening up. And then I'm like, you know, in, in church, people sing about life, but from the standpoint of um, uh, God is going to make a way, you know, which in, in my belief is very true. But nobody talks about the in-between where you're not quite sure, you know. And so... Um, I wrote this song, it was called The Standard. And it was about all the heartbreak that I had to endure. And when I wrote the song, I was like, there was no light at the end of my tunnel, you know? So um, um, people resonated with that song a lot. And I, that's what I was like really singing in church. So that was, that was a turning point for me. Like I wanted to sing about life in real life how you feel in the moment how how um how it makes your heart ache how you feel so human and defeated and hurt and angry with that again but but god will come you know god will come and he'll save you from it all and he'll you know wipe all your tears and things like that and it's like i don't have that feeling right now you know so I think that was a turning point for my songwriting and um, how I got into singing more about my experiences. And it felt nice. It was liberating. So, yeah. it, it, it sounds like in a lot of religious traditions, there was this idea of uh, salvation, right? Um, like, you know, <laughs> God will come in and see the day. But it sounds like your turning point was you know, maybe this transition period between where you are right now and where where you you get to the promised land, right, so to speak. And yeah. it sounds like you were really struggling through that, if I'm hearing mm -hmm. you. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I I am a very nice person. <laughs> That's what I say. I was a very nice person, and then people came. But no, I am a very nice person. I like to love people. You know, the way they want to be loved. And um, I was finding that people didn't have the same grace for me or the same fervor for that kind of love back to me. I didn't get any reciprocation in that way. And um, it hurt a lot because I was willing to give and nobody was willing to give back. But um, uh, it was there at the beginning of the song, the top of the song, it says, I took a couple of knives to the back and I'm having a hard time pulling them out. They're real deep, I can't reach, and broken tips, I can't grip, you know? So it was it was the illustration of like, you're being stabbed in the back, they break the knife off so you can't get it out, and you're trying to heal yourself, and you're trying to remove these knives so you can go on, but 
they're deep and they're broken off and they're you can't get them they're in your back <laughs> you know so it's uh people <laughs> when they heard that they were like woo but wow you know and it's it it's graphic but i try to find the beauty in um how you illustrate pain you know so yeah and uh that's just how I've been writing ever since. It's you know, it's it's like the mixture of um, the theatrical background that I have and the religious background that I have. So it was, I guess, the perfect mixture of the two. So I don't know. Um, so, so how, how does it, how does the theatrical background play play into it? <laughs> it makes me illustrate. Uh, so okay, and then also I love country music. Okay. I love country music and how it tells stories. It tells stories and it is the greatest thing ever. Um, and I wanted to do that. I wanted people to be able to see my lyrics. I want you to be able to see the scene or put yourself in it and be walking through the song, you know? Um, uh I want you to see things. I don't want you to just hear. I want it to be a whole experience. And that's what theater does, you know. Theater kind of immerses you into whether it's like a time period or, you know, or a feeling or, you know, anything like that. It takes you to a different place and then it puts you in the scene. So um, that's what I wanted my music to do. So that's where it plays a part, for sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and being able to like mimic that and tell the story like I've been talking my hands a lot as you can see and then uh kind of express it through facial expression um uh um if you want to give there's certain aspects of theater where it teaches you like surrender and then begging you know and then little nuances but theater definitely taught me all of that it helped with my stage presence a whole lot um, so, yeah. I, I I will say the the imagery you shared right now, like the the knives in your back and then like them them being half pulled out with the ensel in there. Uh, mm -hmm. I, it's it it like as soon as you said it, I could I could I could visualize it. I could see it, and I could also feel it a little bit because it's mm -hmm. um it's uh, I would say you know maybe people shouldn't go through it, but it is a very human experience unfortunately to have like maybe you know have knives in your back the way you said it right yeah, um, yeah. how you know and you know you don't need to share specifics um and so say whatever you're comfortable with but when when you were able it sounds like when you were in this dark place you were able to almost alchemize it into something that's poetry, into something that's music. How, how, how did you? How did you go from dark place? You know, when I'm in a dark place, I just want to like chill in my bed and not talk to anyone, right? So, how did you go from that dark place to like alchemizing it? You know, um, I, I think it's just something that music taught me. Um, it's uh, music and songwriting. It's um, how do you say foot? <laughs> How do you say foot poetically? You know, foot is just a foot, you know, but you can say these five extremities of 
my leg wiggle, blah, 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 blah. You know, and it's a foot, you know, so you got to create a foot. You got to paint a foot. And then um, it's the same thing with traumatic experiences, you know, um, and learning lessons. Lessons usually come from either pain or something you had to endure or, you know, something you had to overcome. And then you have to be able to actually see the lessons because some people take the lesson and or, or not even learn the lesson. But um, in songwriting, I have to to experience my lessons and then make them into something less harmful so I'm able to sing them again, you know? Um, because every time I sing those songs, like there's the, be glad that I'm not God, you know? Like I'm literally singing my trauma, but it sounds, people love it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but I'm singing my heartbreak and my rage, yeah. but it sounds so beautiful. And people are like, wow, I never thought of those words. And I'm like, yeah, I, I wanted revenge really bad. I was very angry. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I say it with a smile, but it's like, I remember who, I remember where I was. I remember, you know, all of the feeling and I remember the lesson and the lesson is now a song, you know? So, but that's what happens. And then that's what we have to endure as artists. It's just a part of the, it's just what comes with it. <laughs> so, and if you're not able to be vulnerable, it's very hard to reach people that way. So. Um, um, you don't want it to be for nothing. So what comes from the heart reaches the heart. Yeah, I'll just make a note for listeners who might not have heard Be Glad That I'm Not God. It's a very fiery song. Um, and I, the main uh, the main lyrics are basically you, you telling someone, be glad that I'm not God or else, you know, so on and so on. But, um, I, you know, like people <laughs> people take for granted that you're not. You know, and it's like, if I actually had the power to give you the things that you gave to me, it would be, things would be very different. I think you would think twice about how you treat people if they had the power to get you back, you know? And I didn't know how else to word it. It was it was just like, man, I I feel helpless because I can't get you back. And if I tried, it wouldn't feel as good. I know I wouldn't be satiated. So I would have to have these powers where I can, you know, do things to you and then reverse it all and then do it to you again, <laughs> you know, or just make you suffer for the rest of your life, you know. But it's, um, it can be, <laughs> that song as I was writing it and um, I, wrote two verses to it. Those were the ones that made the record. And then there was this other verse that I wrote. And it was like, it was it was a little bit too much to go on a record. You know, it was like, mm, okay, you could pull it back to that. Mm. <laughs> and, but it, it was therapeutic to get it out. And then you can see where your mind actually will take you when you feel a certain way. And then you can lay that feeling to rest, you know, 
at least that part, because I'm not as angry as I was when I wrote that part, but the rest of it still stands. So, you know, that's why it, <laughs> that's why it went on the record. The rest of it stands. Yeah. But there are some things where like, okay, I'm healed from that part of the rage, you know, and then I can move on from that. And that will just be between me and me. Yeah. <laughs> so, I would say there yeah. is there is a vulnerability in expressing a desire for revenge that perhaps mm-hmm. in modern society it's not it's not polite or you know you're not supposed to like share feelings like that um and so i i, I personally really enjoy like that that emotional honesty like because people do feel that way even if they don't say it and there's like a fierceness to it and yeah. for those listening i highly recommend you listen to it um and i'm also curious because you grew up in this really christian uh, upbringing and mm-hmm. there, there is this motif in Christianity about turning the other cheek right uh, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. how, how did you did you grapple with these two things at all when you were like writing the song you know um I felt like people would feel away with me trying to or, or, or they would feel like I'm um saying that I could be gotten better you know um and that was I was hoping the conversation had never came up and it hasn't, you know, up to this point because um, it's still a feeling that we're going to have, you know, it's the feeling of, I just don't, I don't have it. I don't have that kind of power. And the only person that would and be able to, you know, from what we learned in our religion is that, um, you know, he's omniscient and all powerful in all of these things. If you have all the power, what would you do with it? You know, and and being human, we don't know God's mind and how he does things and how we fit in that, you know, in that plane. But I didn't grapple too much with the thought of turning the other cheek because this is all explained in the song that I just don't even have the power anyway, you know? And it it's like, I would never be able to get you back how I should get you back. So it's not even, I don't even think turning the other cheek was, was useful for this song um, or even for this mindset. It's hard to explain, like, it, like yes, forgiveness and all of that, like, in, at a certain point, it's like nothing else you can do but that. And in itself, saying, be glad that I'm not God is a form of forgiveness, you know? It is that, that you know, this is your saving grace. And that grace is, you know, this is it. Be glad that I'm not God. That is your grace. That is your forgiveness, you know? So being that I don't have the power. And, and tell us a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. no, that, that, that was good. Uh, tell us a little bit more about your process. So, uh, do you? So, y- you had these uh, difficult moments, and then it sounds like uh, some some words or lyrics come to you. Do you then like write them out? Do you like collaborate with other people? Do you like get feedback? How does that work? Um, so I haven't really written with a lot of other people and especially when I am writing from my experiences, um, 
it makes it difficult to do that. Like if, if, but if I do, it will probably be more of a remix where I kind of let them speak on their experience dealing with the topic that I'm talking about. But as for um, feedback and like writing sessions, I'm usually alone. I'm usually alone. Um, not usually, I am alone with writing sessions. And then, um, and then I have my husband, um, he plays all of the music and sometimes uh, well, okay, I can't say that I write everything alone because sometimes he's like, uh, that that part is a little wordy, you know. <laughs> but but that's that's kind of um, he'll give me that kind of feedback. He goes like, ah, it's too squeezed in, it's too squeezed in, and then I just have to go and rewrite it or whatever. But but that's the max that it is, and um, because this all these songs are literally my diaries, <laughs> and that's it. Um, but as for the creative process, um, sometimes I'll have like a melody in my head. Um, and then I'll have like three words, you know, and, um, or even like no graves. It was, it was just those two, two words. And that was the chorus until I got to doing the verses. Um, and then that music for that song was written prior and it was um, a morning meditation that my husband had. He was, he was doing just like these simple piano, they're not really simple, but these piano songs. And then I was like, Hey, I really like that one. Send it to me, you know? And then, <clears throat> and I've had that music for, I want to say like a year before I wrote to it. And then as I was listening to it and I was like, okay, and then it just all flowed out like that. Hmm. But yeah, sometimes um, the songs come to me on the road, which happens a lot. And then... Uh, that sounds very inconvenient. In the shower. Okay. Say that again? I think having songs come to you while you're driving sounds very inconvenient. <laughs> it can be. Um, it can be. Um, but... Uh, because you can't write it down. But at that point, I think I had like another phone where I was able to do like voice memos on while the music was playing and then things like that. But, and then a lot of, and I can say that there are a lot of songs that I've forgotten because I didn't write anything down <laughs> and that can be very inconvenient. Don't text and drive people, but you know, sometimes I'll just have to like make a little note um, while I'm driving and then in the shower. <laughs> in the shower and it, it happens I think in vulnerable spaces you know mm. and a lot of times when I am alone alone where you know I'm completely shut off like and then a lot of songs come when I turn my phone on D&D which is something that I noticed so yeah I should probably do that like a lot more and then uh yeah I think um it's hard for me to create when I um, when I have plenty of time to do so. So if I have time and I'm just relaxing around and I sit down and write something, sometimes it never comes. But when I'm in a crunch for something, I'm like, no, I got to finish this song. I set a deadline for myself, and then it'll be like like hours before the deadline, and I'm like, ah, boom, 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 <laughs> and there's a song, you know. And um, that's what happened. There's a there's a a Christmas song that I wrote from the standpoint of the Northern Star in um, 
it's the Bible story of, you know, of Jesus being born. And then there was, you know, the star that was placed to guide the wise men and the shepherds to where Jesus was. And um, I was like, nobody ever writes from the standpoint of the star, you know, like that was, it was placed there for that specific moment. And it was a guiding star and it played a, a part, a crucial part in the story, but nobody talks about the star. So I was like, yeah. I'm gonna write a song about the star. And I said that like like I want to say like two months ago. And and then like right before I had the actual recording session, I wrote that song in like 30 minutes. And it just I was like, okay, I can get this that. And then boom. So yeah, it's a really cute song. I guess you sing it this Saturday. Cool. So um, but yeah, the writing process, it can be tedious. It can be a joy, it can be, you know, a release, it can be a flow, and sometimes there are walls, <laughs> so you just gotta take it as it comes, you know, and and a lot of people blame themselves, like, what am I doing wrong, you know, in this process, why, why is nothing coming to me, and we have to put, um, I can't remember who said it, I was watching the TED Talk, and I, I will find the reference later, but um, she was saying that, you know, you have to catch the train as it comes in and then you have to catch it. You have to write it down, just write it down when you can find it. And then you have to understand that in um, in mythology, the genius was actually in the walls. It wasn't inside of us. The genius wasn't us. Um, it was this outside thing that came to us and then... Um, allowed us to gather from that inspiration that the genius provided. So um, it helps when you think of it that way, it helps you not blame yourself for not coming up with something spectacular or, or, you know, monumental in that moment, you know, the genius just didn't come today. And that is just what it was. So that helps a lot because it can be very hard when you have like a writer's block, um, um, when you feel like it, this should this should come easy to me, you know, and it's just not going to be that way all the time. So yeah, that was a lot of rambling about a lot of things, but <laughs> but that's a creative no, process. No, that 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 that, that was a problem, <laughs> and, and aptly so, right? Um, I I I, I want to talk about no grades. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say a few uh, lines uh, from the song just to like anchor our listeners. Um, so uh, some of the lyrics are, death does not become me, it, does, it doesn't rest easy on me, it was never meant for me, it's not my destiny, always overcoming, there will be no graves. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that first, the words no graves popped into your head before the rest mm-hmm. of the lyrics. Uh, <laughs> where, where were you, what was happening when, when those words came in? So... <laughs> I mean, let's let's. I'm gonna tell the whole story. So, um, I live in Sacramento, and there was this artist that I really like. His name is Samo. It's Thomas spelled backwards. <laughs> so Samo, he's, he's an artist that um, I really look up to. I really love his sound and his um, songwriting style. It's a very simple A B A B style, and it works so well for him. It's, it's you know. It's amazing. And um, he was going to be in L.A. So I was like, 
okay, I'm going to that. Because <laughs> he's from North Carolina. So when he came out here, I was like, I don't care where it's at, I'm going. Went to it. And, um, and I can't even say I was looking for inspiration, but what I got was amazing. And then opening up myself to realize how I was feeling about my career and my songwriting and um, how to move forward. It's, sometimes it's really hard to figure out how to move forward with things inside of, um, uh, or to get to your goals. And then what those goals exactly are sometimes is a little hazy. So what did that look like I go to this concert. What did that look like mm -hmm. for you in that moment? Like where, where, where were you, like how? how it, was, it was just floundering. It was just, I am up in the air. I'm just floating around, you know? And almost like there was nothing that I can do to get me to that next spot. I've been in so many positions where it had the potential to be something extraordinary, you know, deals were on the table and um, um, people saying like, oh, you need to meet so-and-so, we need to set up a meeting. And, you know, and then a lot of times those things kind of fall through um, because I, I give people my passion through my music and it doesn't last long enough for them, I feel like. I don't know what it is, but it happens quite a bit where I'm like, oh my gosh, you need to be here and there and everywhere. And this is, you know, and then I'll kind of follow up and then it's like nothing really comes of it. So it kind of wears on you mentally. Like, what don't I have? You know, what don't, what am I missing? Um what do I need to work on? And then I always go to blaming myself first because if it's something I can change, I'll change it, you know? Um, but and this particular... And just to place readers, it's, it sounds like, uh, you know, you, you uh, had a job as a makeup artist and you were looking to break into music and you were performing here in the Bay Area and people were approaching you giving you offers to, mm -hmm. to, to, um, in to, LA too, LA. Yep. Yeah. It was, um, I had a meeting with like Capitol records and, um, like a whole showcase with that. And, and, um, uh, and, and, you know, and then with the Instagram, the algorithm, it was really, really bad. Like some days it would be really great. And some days it would just be, Nobody saw this, <laughs> you know. So it makes you feel like um, your value is not really there. You know, they don't find you valuable enough. They don't check for you enough because it's not something that is important to anyone. Um, so I I am a person... Oh, this alarm keeps going off. Goodness. Um, I am a person who will clap for anybody. I will applaud you because like, I know that I'm going to want somebody to applaud me. I give grace because I know that I'm going to need it. I congratulate people because my time is coming as well. But there was a time where I was like, okay, maybe this is not it. And then the makeup was doing better than my music because that's what I was working at. I was working at the makeup. 
makeup was bringing me money. People were like, oh my gosh, you're the greatest. You know, I started doing celebrities and traveling and it was great. But my music <laughs> was what I really wanted. That's what I wanted more than anything. And, um, and the makeup was supposed to be paying for the music. It was just supposed to be, you know, that, that funding for what I wanted to do with my actual art. <clears throat> so went down to this concert and it was in somebody's apartment, about 25 people in the room. And Samo gave this performance that you would have thought he was, you know, at Rose Bowl or, or some kind of stadium arena, you know. And what I had taken from that was like, you don't have to be important to a bunch of people. Just do the work and build these fans small. Like, you know, it can get bigger from here. But it doesn't have to be right away, these big stadiums and big stages. It can start off small, build up fans that are going to follow you and love you forever. Because that's who I am with Simone. Like, I will love him forever as a fan. And I was learning the lesson of you have what you need. You know, um, it doesn't have to be fireworks and... and um, like huge budgets, none of that. You have exactly what you need and figure out a way. You have to do the work, you know. But I was driving on a grapevine back home from that particular concert and still feeling the feeling of maybe music is not what I'm supposed to be doing, you know. And maybe it's time to hang it up. I'm getting older. And at that time, I was only... I'm 35 now, but I was about, what, 29? Yeah, something like that, 29, 30. And not realizing that I still had time to accomplish any kind of goal that I wanted, you know, as long as I'm breathing. And um, I had to talk to God because I was really, like, I was crying on the grapevine. <laughs> crying driving was bad. And I was like, okay. Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? I was using God like a magic eight ball. Like I need a yes or a play no. I need, like, you know, and um, it was like, there's no death surrounding anything that you do. Whether it's makeup or music, um, there's no death. Nothing dies. Nothing is um, for not or, you know, it has a purpose, everything, everything, because I'm an artist through and through, and it just comes with the territory. And death doesn't even look good on you. Like, it doesn't, giving up, you know, it's, it's like death is giving up. Death is like <clears throat> the ultimate there's nothing else that can come from this. So I'm going to bury. And, um, and, and if you do that, and it sounds extreme, but there's somebody that could also die from you burying your gifts, you know? Um, 
and I say this on like people are dying for lack of inspiration and they are because a lot of people, they don't see a way to make it to tomorrow. You know, they don't see it and they, they give up and you could have been the one that inspires them to no, just try again. You can make it, you can do it. It's okay, you know, like death is not the answer because you have so much potential. As long as you're living, you have potential. You are important, you're vital. The things that you do are vital. And, and all of that comes from wishing someone would have told me, you know, and it can get really, really dark. Can get really dark and frustrating and sad and lonely and you want to keep going but you don't have the inspiration to keep going and people don't know that they have that potential to be that for somebody else and so death does not become me don't rest easy on me the the thought of dying because that's why I had to ask God because I didn't want to give up I wanted to give up but I didn't want to give up that's why you have to ask one more time you know what I'm saying like okay all right so should I be giving up on this like let me know I would like to do this but I need an answer yeah so that's what that moment was and it will always ring in my mind like even though it was a real moment, it was a very silly moment, you know? And you don't know what you're saying or doing sometimes. And you don't know how much power you have in your words. You don't know how much power you have in um, in your actions. And so, uh, but that's what that song is. That song is perseverance. That song is hope and potential. And uh, no graves. Like, don't let anything to rest and don't let people die because you don't want to put anything in the ground to grow or you don't want, you're afraid of success sometimes, you know, and um, you just can't be afraid to do that because you are depending on it. Other people are depending on it. People that you don't even know half the time. And uh, yeah, but that's that message when I sing it, when I say it, it is much for me as it is for anybody else. Like, cause I have to remind myself, like, this is something that you went through. This is something that you promised yourself and you promised others, you know, that you won't create any more death. You won't create any more um, endings, you know, um, just those beginnings to see what comes of it. So yeah, if no graves. <laughs> When you when you ask that question <clears throat> to God, it it sounds like you were almost at the end of your rope, right? And you like had this moment of surrender. Um, mm-hmm. how, how did the answer come to you? I think a lot of people are in that like have these conflicts. They don't know which way to go. They don't know whether to give up or stay. And and mm-hmm. either consciously or unconsciously, they'll 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 make that request or ask that question. How did you? Mm-hmm. Um, how did the answer come to you? How did you know it was the right answer? Because it was an answer that I wasn't necessarily looking for. You know, I, I, it was, 
it was, I like I said, I wanted him to be a magic eight ball. I wanted a clear yes and a clear no, you know? And it was more of, there's no death surrounding you. Like, you can't put this away. You know, I, I wasn't even on that. I wasn't even on, should I let this die? It was never even a part of my question, you know? It was more of, should I be doing this or no? And the answer was, there is no death surrounding anything that you do. So I was like, okay, you know? And God is who we are, you know? Like, if you're an angry person, okay, I gotta, let me um, try and turn this. All right. Okay. <laughs> if God is an angry person, or if you are an angry person, that's who God is. He's a God of wrath. And if you are a loving person, God is this loving God. You know, we oftentimes put our own personal um, feelings onto who God is. And um, with that, it was it was very gentle. It was um, um, me not understanding in that moment that it was a matter of life and death, you know, whether it was for me, because I know I would be miserable without doing music. But, you know, it was it was sadness. It was it was a very like, OK, if I got to be sad about it, just let me know now so I can move on, you know, <laughs> and it, it was that. So it was, it was a very gentle, there is no death surrounding anything that you do. So I was like, okay, okay, I can work with that. Okay. <laughs> you know, so um, that's just how it came. That, that was the message. That's what, that's what dropped inside of my mind. And then it was, um, and then after that, it was the no graves, you know, because I had to go along the lines of there's no death, no death, no death. And yeah, so that's how I got there. If you're comfortable, I'd love for you to sing it. But before that, I do have one other mm -hmm. like question around this, which is in, in, in the song, um, I've listened to it multiple times, there is this theme of like fate and destiny, right? In it. Um, when we started this interview, you said you'd been singing since two. I don't expect that. I thought you'd say something like 11, you know, you, you, you were singing. <laughs> uh, um, and even this question, you know, it's 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 uh, there. There is an epicness to the way you like ask, like yes or no, and then you got this like answer, right? Uh, so so like, what is what is your view on fate? Fate, mm. and, and 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 how did it weave itself into the song? So I am one who does not necessarily believe in coincidences. Um, I feel like everybody is in the right place at the right time, whether the outcome is good or bad. Um, and that belief came, you know, much later in my life. Or, you know, like not recently, but within the last, I want to say, eight to 10 years. And that um, with everything that has happened to me, the no's that have happened, um, timing is everything. And whatever is for me is for me. And that's why I had to, I had to see like where I was, you know, 
was like, okay, am I supposed to be doing this? Am I in the right place? And it was like, it was, it was a yes per se. Like whatever it is, like you, you've gone through these things, but it is leading you here. And this is a space that you are in now. And so, yeah, it, it has to be fate. It, it is, you know, it is the consequence, good or bad, of all the choices that were made, of all the places that I've been, the responses that I received, the love that I haven't received, all of it plays together. And all of it is showing up right now. And tomorrow it'll show up some more. And the day after that, it'll show up some more. So yeah, it's 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 the just keep going, just keep walking. <laughs> and uh um in the song No Graves, it 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 talks about, you know, there not being any death because death has no more potential, it's pretty final. And gardens, they have all of this potential. And usually it'll yield something, you know. Um, uh, we can learn so much from plants, but in planting and gardening and, and farming and all that kind of stuff. Um, the, the soil, um, we deal with a lot of things, you know, a lot of people's BS. And so I, I like to turn that into the fertilizer. And um, the work is like the tilling of the soil. So you have good soil and it's ready. It's ready for potential to be put into it. And it will grow and you have to see about it. You have to actually plant the things. They have to come outside of you. It has to go in the ground. It has to be out into the world so it can flourish. You know, um, seeds in your hands, you know, they don't do anything, but you got to put them in the ground for it to yield something. And so, um, and that's the, that's the going through it. That's the, the faith of it, you know, that it can provide, that it will yield something, that there will be a harvest, but, you know, if you don't plant it, it won't grow and you don't reap anything. So, um, but yeah, that's the fate of it all. That's fatal. There's either death or there's life. Cool. You wanna you wanna sing it? How do you feel about? Yeah, you know what's <clears throat> come to a little bit. I think that's the right note, but the right key. Death does not become me. It don't rest easy on me. It was never meant for me. It's not my destiny. I am always overcoming. And there will be no graves, no graves, no graves, no graves. Again, will be no graves, no, no, no graves for me, for me. And then I sing that verse again, 
because I made it somewhat of my affirmation. Like I, I really wanted to drive that home, you know. And then there's a part of the song where I go, Oh, everything must grow, no graves, nothing but gains, no graves. Oh, I will live, I will not die, no graves, no graves for me, no graves. So, yeah. And um, I find myself humming the melody, you know, I don't necessarily say the words out loud, but they're in my mind when I feel frustrated or I feel tired about something. Um, and usually it's on that drive, like after I've had a long day and then I do a drive and I go and do a show in the Bay Area because I live in Sacramento. So it's like an hour and some change. But usually I get home late at night. And I have to remind myself, like, no, you're planting seeds. Like, there's beauty that's happening. There's growth that is happening. So I hum that song to remind myself, like, nah, girl, just keep going, just keep going. Do not get weary in this, you know. Um, be grateful for these drives because at one point that drive was, what am I doing, you know? And now the drives are, I'm doing it. I'm actually going out here to people and I'm sowing seeds with people. I'm providing inspiration for people. And I'm doing what I wanted to do. And I'm happy. I am, I, and I keep saying this. I found myself saying this quite a bit recently. Um, and it was definitely after I kind of retired from doing makeup. Um, that I am the happiest that I've been in a really, really long time. So it's been beautiful. It's been really beautiful. And no graves. <laughs> I want to ask you about one more song <clears throat> uh, and this one is I've Been Waiting it's uh, well tell us about the song <laughs> so I've Been Waiting that was definitely that one was about love finally getting to you and um and that love for me was my husband you know and and he was already there it was more of we had to fight to get to the altar um my mom did not want me to get married she was not having it and she would kill me if I told the story she hates the story because I mean they're the best of friends now they're like they're so great they're so great together they would throw me away for each other so um, but I, I would love to hear the story if you're comfortable sharing. I think the listeners would too. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, no, yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty much it. My mom, she was like, uh uh, no, I don't want you to get married. Well, she didn't say it in those words. My mom, <laughs> I'm her first girl, so she was very um particular about my upbringing and how um, a suitor would come to them, and it was very romanticized in her mind of how um, my person would come to me. Um, so when he came, like we were hanging out a lot in college and that's how we met. We met in the jazz and cross class that I was talking about earlier and uh, met officially. We, we've seen each other around the city and he divulged to me that I was his dream girl. So he would see me around the city singing and 
and doing all that. And so he was like, oh my gosh, oh, body, uh, he was gushing over me. So I love that story. And um, so in college, we would be hanging out like all the time, spend so much time together and just writing music. And um, he helped me with my first album and we were just getting really close. But we knew like, I want to say like two years in, probably sooner than that, that we were going to be together. Like we had found each other and it was just such a beautiful, just fit. It was comfortable. It was um, full of love and it was full of potential. And we saw each other's potential and we knew. My mom, not so much. <laughs> she was like, ah, no, 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 no. And I think she was in denial about me growing up and potentially moving out of the house. So um, they would have conversations about like, oh, she was like, oh, you guys want to get married? Um, well, where is she going to live? You know, where is she going to, what is it? And so he was like, okay. Well, I'll fix that. So he buys me a house. <laughs> and so she was like, well, um, I don't know. It, there was just like all these like red herrings and all these other things that she would just kind of throw in there. And then she, um, when she saw us getting closer, uh, he wanted to take me to San Francisco and, you know, like enjoy a nice dinner. But she knew what was going on. So... She was just like, no, you're not going out. No, he's not taking you to all the way to San Francisco. No, like you guys can stay in the city, blah, 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 blah. And so it kind of ruined all of his plans. So he had to circle back and like plan everything all over again. And this time, you know, she was just like, she kind of just let it happen. She was very upset. <laughs> so we went to San Francisco. We got on a boat. He got seasick. And uh, he threw up <laughs> all on the boat. <laughs> and then... Um, so we're get off the boat and we are walking down the pier and um I think we we're about like at pier 29 and then he's like I didn't want to do this like this and I was like oh what what are you talking about you know I mean just you know being oh what what do you mean what do you mean and so he was like he was like I just you know I just got sick on the boat and this and that I was like what's wrong like, no, everything's fine. It's okay. It happens, you know. And then he drops down on his knee and he pops the question. And I'm like, oh my God! You know, like, freaking out. And I'm like, yes, 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 yes. So, um, get in the car. We drive back to Sacramento. And then he drops me off at my house. And my mom is in the living room. It looks like a movie. My mom is in the living room, like, in the dark. And she, like, turns on the light. <laughs> She's sitting in the chair. So, let me see it. I'm like, see what? He's like, the ring, let me see it. So I'm like, yeah, you know, she was like, hmm, it's small, you know? <laughs> and I was like, okay, so we're going to have to relax. Okay, just chill out, you know? And, you know, humble beginnings, great. But he had saved up, um, he was saving up, because he knew that he was going to marry so he had saved up and he was, you know, buying the house and everything like that. So, um, so it, it also started. Sound, also sounds and, like uh, before meeting him, you went through a little bit of heartbreak as well right based on something you shared earlier so before before meeting him yes but I was never one that was afraid of trying to meet you know if that person didn't work out I didn't see myself like waiting for years for that you know because it, it's like 
yeah, you can hurt me, but you're not going to waste my time after that time has been wasted already, you know? So it was like, I can move on. I'm pretty. <laughs> so I'm not like a girl. I have a great heart. I'm smart. You know what I mean? So like, whatever with that, you know? And I know that somebody else will, you know, somebody else will love me and that will happen. It will come to me. Um, and so I've never been necessarily afraid of finding love. Um, and I can even say that I probably had like one bad heartbreak. The other one, me, <laughs> but one bad heartbreak. And then after that, it was like, okay, God, I'm ready for my husband. You know, like, I'm, you know, I don't want to be spinning my wheels with people. You know, I don't mind doing the work. I don't mind that. But I don't want to be spinning my wheels out here. So, yeah. And then Durani, he comes in. This, this is my husband. And he's amazing. And I could not imagine a better fit, a better love, a better genuine person that really wants to understand someone, you know, and he will ask a lot of questions and he used to bother me a whole lot, but he just really wants to understand. And I think that's one of his greatest traits. Like he will ask questions and he will try to get down to the bottom of it. And then, you know, you know, make changes or compromise. He is a communicator, which I was not, I was not, I'm like, we can stop talking about this, you know? And so that was a learning curve for me. But yeah, and it, and he would try to communicate with my mom. He would try to like get an understanding with her, but she didn't really have um, anything to stand on too much. It was just kind of like how she was feeling in the moment, and he would try to understand, but there was nothing to understand because everything was like kind of made up. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, after the proposal, things started moving really, really fast. And we were just like, hey, let's, you know, like, let's just go ahead and move forward. We'll plan the wedding, got the date together. And um, um, I want to say about two weeks before the wedding, my mom was trying anything. She called my eldest brother. He was in Atlanta. And um, whew, I am telling you the whole story. Like, you, whoo, she is going to be so upset. <laughs> But um, she called him and he's like, he is, my eldest brother's opinions are very important to me. And so he's like, Vadia, what are you doing? Mom is saying that you're trying to get married and you don't know this guy. I was like, hey, we've been together for like five years. <laughs> like, I know him. Mom is just afraid and I don't know why. I don't know what to say. But you're breaking her heart and, you know, it's all the guilt, you know. And I'm just like, no, look, at this point, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I know that he's for me. And there's like, literally, I have no question in my mind about it. And I need everybody to be okay. And that was when it started getting serious and the people are like, oh, because I was able to say clearly, I don't really care, you guys. <laughs> I know what I'm supposed to be doing in this moment. And it's him. That's him. He's mine. That's for me. And so I have been waiting for that moment of complete peace about it because my family is very important. My mom is very important. My father is very important. And my dad is kind of like, I don't know if you think he's a great guy. Like, I don't like him. You know, he's kind of okay. My mom was not okay. And so um, being able to find peace with that, it was, that's what I had been waiting for, you know? And it was, it was him. It was the, 
it was the security of knowing it was the for sure I found my person. I found that one person on this planet that is for me. And nobody, I I don't care if you question it. Like, I don't, like, I really know for a fact. I know for a fact. And I had never been sure about anything else in my life like that. Nothing I to this day. And um, so I was waiting for the moment of our wedding day. I remember standing at the top of the steps and where we got married and this full body chill. And then it was heat all the way up. And I was like, oh my God, I'm really about to do this. This is crazy. And so, yeah. And, and it was like, today's happening. Finally, the day you and my dreams are staring back at me. I can touch it now. Love's mine, oh mine. I love it in this until the end of time. And I've been waiting, waiting for you. You know, and it was, it was, it's a wedding day in a song, you know. It is, it's all those feelings. It's like, it's really here. And I and a lot of brides get that feeling. They're like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It's time for me to walk. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I'm in a dress. Oh my God, there's a bouquet in my hand. There's a, you know, and it's all of these feelings that just consume you. And then you see your love at the end of the aisle. And it's just like, okay. Just look, just look ahead. That's future. And you just walk into it just walking to it, you know? And so, yeah. And, but my favorite part of that song, my favorite part of the song is um, the bridge. And that was, that was uh, definitely about me and him. And it says, I, I believe our love will bring the truth back. Because our love is where the truth said, our love will win the war and the battle. And through our love, all the problems are handled. Our love will build walls and cities. Our love is strong, just see you with me. And our love will redefine love. And they will use our names to describe love. That's his favorite line. That's it. He was like, oh, they'll use our names to describe them, you know. So when people talk about it, it's like, oh, Demani and Vadia, like, people talk about our wedding day, like, to this day. Because, I mean, he boohooed. A plus. A plus on the crying. It was top tier. Five stars. Would recommend. And um, he had this piece of tissue in his hand. And, I mean, it was torn to shreds. His face was all red, and he was just weeping, and it was the most amazing thing ever. So, you know, I have that. And every, I mean, not a single dry eye, even my mom, like, she was like, okay, you know? <laughs> it was a beautiful day. And so, when people talk about that, they like, oh my gosh, like, it was just so beautiful. And you guys, I, you guys are a power couple, and this, this, and that. And I love how you love each other, you know? And, um, and a lot of people talk about how we respect each other and in conversation, like how we are very quick to apologize if somebody feels a certain way about something. And that was a learned thing. That wasn't, you know, 
that wasn't the top of our relationship, but it is how we are with each other now and people recognize it and they really love it. And, um, and we love it too. It, it keeps the peace, you know, um, and it helps us understand each other better, but they will use our names to describe love, you know, and then our love is new and in sold, and our love is a diamond dipped in gold. Like two things that people find very precious, you know, but having the, the solidness of a diamond and then the value of gold, like it's a diamond dipped in this 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 strong thing dipped in value and beauty. And um you know our love is new because we're constantly learning each other every day. And um when people ask me for advice, this is what I tell them. I said, hey look, people grow until the day they die. People grow until the day they die and people change until the day they die. And you have to figure out if that person is somebody that you are willing to change and grow with. If you have things that you see early on that are a red flag and that you can't see it getting any worse, like you wouldn't be able to be with that person, like discuss those things. Don't let it go, you know, like try to find some kind of compromise, but also have the grace of knowing that people will change people's minds expand and they they learn new things and they want to try things because they're still human and they're still growing. And that's going to happen throughout life. It won't stop, you know. Um, so I need people to recognize that. And uh, our love is new and it's old. And our love is a diamond dipped in gold. Our love is sought through our lifetimes. And my life is blessed because I found mine. And like I said, like, I know that that's my person. I know it and I still know it and I'll know it tomorrow and I know it the day after that. That is my person for sure. So yeah, but that song was for him. That was, that was, that was for us. I would say. And anybody else who finds their person, I really love, love, and I love people that try. So. Great. Um, well, this was, this is a great conversation. Um, I know. I know you have a. You have at least one single coming out. Where can people learn more about your work? Um, Spotify, IG, uh, Vadia Hub, on Instagram, and then I have a text community. Um, that's usually where people find out about things first. I'm in hibernation right now, but um, I have some great things coming up that I'll be able to share with everybody pretty soon. And um, I I call it my garden. That is my garden. Um, it's um, where I'm able to sow into people and people are able to sow into me and we can all grow together. So yeah. Uh, and .com, the the site is about to be redone by um, a new friend of mine. Her name is Stephanie Cohen. And I can't wait for that to be finished. So, and they'll have all the updates on there as well. couple of announcements as this podcast comes to an end the first is i am starting negotiation coaching and if you find value in some of the content i put around negotiation uh, you can reach out to me on twitter 
or if you're on my Substack, just respond to an email and we can we can chat. The other announcement is I am looking for ambassadors to help promote the podcast. And in return, I am going to be offering some swag. So if that is of interest, again, you can message me on Twitter. My handle is at S-A-S-A-D-B. Or again, you can, uh, if you're on my Substack, just respond to my email and we'll set up time to chat.